Hello, my name is Chris Stoker, and I'm a physics teacher turned science coordinator, and the purpose of this podcast is to interview teachers and to try to pick their brains for some of the great lessons and ideas they've developed for teaching science. I've always thought that developing good lessons is a creative process, and that we really don't get much of a chance to share that product with very many of our colleagues. And the downside is that all those brilliant ideas tend to be lost to everyone, and certainly to the profession as a whole. This podcast wants to harvest some of those gems and share them as far and as wide as possible. Think of it as bite-sized, authentic PD from those in the trenches. For the kickoff to Season 2, we thought it would be fun to interview teachers at the Idaho STEM Conference and ask them what they do at the beginning of the year to develop a positive classroom culture. I interviewed eight teachers from 2nd grade up to 12th grade, from small schools up to big schools. And it was interesting to see certain themes emerge, like connecting with others, feeling safe, and learning to trust, like having shared experiences with science, like sending a clear message that it's okay to fail. So without further ado, welcome to season two of Inspiring Science Teachers. teaching at Sawtooth Middle School this year, um, engineering, coding, computer sciences, and um, typewriting. Awesome. What, what do you like to do at the beginning of the year to like build culture? I think the most important thing to build culture is to share with students that it's okay to fail. Um, and so I introduced from the very first day um, a culture of failure, which sounds awful as a teacher, um, but unless they're afraid to be authentically in what they know, they can't learn. So if you're always having to mask that you're stuck or that you don't understand the concept, you're not going to be marching forward. You're just gonna be copying down what everyone else knows. Um, So beginning from day one, sharing with the students epic failures. Um, I like to really highlight you know, oops, I learned that today. Oops, I did this today and what an epic amazing event it was for me to learn even though I'm in you know now I'm in my 40s um, I still have things I don't know um, and that I fail at sometimes it's tying my shoes in the morning as I trip over them when I get in the car sometimes it's not knowing a bit of science information it's all an amazing opportunity to learn more um, and so I think showing students that gives them that permission to be vulnerable Um, and once they have that permission they then are more open to admitting and raising their hand and saying I need help. I'm going to pry a little bit into how you do this because this seems really interesting to me. um, Do you like just like as things happen and you make mistakes in class just like I point them out. You point them out to them or are you also like telling some like big stories from Uh, your life about failures I do and it's not like I don't have anything like in the moment like I don't pre-plan years in advance oh this is going to be a great story Um, the first thing I tell them is they've all failed epically before they got to my room the very first thing they tried to do of independence which was probably crawling and walking they were awful at it and I have this based on my own you know children's experience they had bloody noses and bumps on their heads and then you know 
ask them to raise their hand and say, who here can walk? Now, I've got to be very careful in case there's anyone with disabilities, but then I just choose a different life skill that they learned in infancy that they are now expert at. Like, you know, breathing. They didn't know how to breathe until they were born, and suddenly here they are doing it. Um, and so pointing out something that they are all experts at that they haven't really thought about. And then they make a list. Everybody gets a science journal and a math journal and an ELA journal or whatever that subject area I'm teaching. The first thing they write down is everything they're an expert at. And then I point out, I have them share. And anytime I get to something that I am crap at and there's a lot, I say, whoa, I can't do that. I can't do that. Can we make a challenge? Can someone teach me something they know by the end of the year that I can be better at? I guarantee I won't be an expert, but I will have fun learning because it's not about being an expert. It's about the journey to the experience. That's awesome. I know that you are switching from a virtual setting yes. to in, you know, face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about virtually. Was it harder to create that culture with a group of kids or did you just have to do different things or like tell us about that? The, uh, the, the difficult thing with virtual is getting the kids there. The younger the kids, the more they showed up. The older the kids, the more that they had learned that they could be independent. And I think independence is, is absolutely necessary, necessary for life. I mean, it's not something that, you know, you got to be independent. Um, and so with those younger kids, it was, it was a better experience in that they were more engaging. With the older kids, um, I really had to show up more in, look, this is what failure feels like, and it's okay, because they had that on-off switch that they could just dip out. Um, and so being more careful of not their feelings, but their the mask that, that everyone wears um, and making sure that I didn't pop too big a hole in it. Um, that was more difficult online because they could escape with, yeah. you know, oops, I got disconnected um, was something I had to keep in mind about how far I could push them. So, but I mean, definitely by the end of the year, you have the kids who just kept coming back because they find it's fun to fail. Yeah. It's so much fun to fail. <laughs> like the biggest explosions, the biggest messes, all kinds. Like if a science experiment goes right, you have nothing to clean up. What kind of fun is that? <laughs> yeah. Don't tell my principal. The failures make good stories too. They do. I will say that. <laughs> they do. It's it's the most fun, and you learn the most from it. Um, you know, if I gave them something and they followed all the steps, and then they got to the thing at the end, and I asked them what they learned, they'll probably be like, "How to follow directions." That's yay for someone who doesn't have to turn their brain on, but boohoo for every other aspect for life. Yeah. Um, it's the people who I don't give all the steps to and say, "Figure this out." you're not going to get it on the first try. And if you do, I've got to make it harder. Um, and that's the other, I, I, every kid I've ever taught here is like, I've already done third grade, fifth grade, 12th. I've done it. I've succeeded. I got my little report card at the end. Um, it's your turn. It's not my turn. It's your turn to do all of this. If I was going through school, we'd be, this would be a different dynamic, but this is your experience. And let's figure out how to like suck it dry. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. My name is Elizabeth Sonerson. I teach 7th and 8th grade science at Galileo STEM Academy in West Ada. And I like to start by having my kids work in groups. I start my 8th graders on day 3 doing their first lab investigation. And 
once they're done with their investigation, I give them a giant piece of paper where they graph their data and then they have to reflect on cross-cutting concepts around their data and they try to find three or four of the cross-cutting concepts and explain how they can apply those concepts to their little quick activity. That sounds cool. What, what do you like about that activity? Like, why do you think it works well? The kids get really involved really quickly. Usually, when kids are doing hands-on activities, it might not be for a month, because there's so much other stuff that people want to get done. And by diving in, doing something hands-on right away, they get excited and they know that they're going to be doing interesting things during the year. Okay. Why do you like using cross-cutting concepts, that theme, on day three? Like, why does that work well, that piece? I think that if they can look for those, it helps them analyze things as they go through the year. If they know that there are patterns or systems or models, then all through the year they have these central ideas that no matter what topic we cover, they have something they can hang their ideas on. Cool, I like that. Does it feel like it's a little too much for seventh graders to jump into that? They're not quite ready? Is that why you save it just for the eighth? Or is that just kind of how it's worked out? So, so far it's just been the eighth because I had a little more sense of what I wanted to do with the seventh graders. Um, I have the seventh graders take the NGSS ideas and brainstorm in small groups about them and try to give examples of things that they have done historically to tie to them, uh, but I don't give them an actual activity to start with. Do you feel like at your school that, because um, you're kind of a smaller school and the kids probably all know each other more, and, that you have to like um, build a culture in your classroom or is some of that like coming with them from kind of the way your school operates and being smaller and all that? I think they come with some culture of working in groups mm -hmm. and they have some idea about that, but I also think that the way each teacher structures it in their classroom is a little bit different. And so our sixth graders have fewer teachers, so they're used to having one teacher for maybe two subjects a day. Whereas seventh grade, they're gonna see seven different teachers and it's gonna be a little different in every classroom. And so starting off uh, with team building, we do team building activities in seventh grade on those first two days. We don't do any curriculum content. Gets them comfortable with the idea you're going to be working in groups, you're going to talk to each other, you're going to use those whiteboards. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm Dr. Kelly Taylor. I teach third grade at Hawthorne Elementary in the Boise School District. And it is August 4th and the school year is rapidly approaching and I'm very excited 
but I've had to put my thinking cap back on for what I do at the beginning of the year. So it's been a year since then, and uh, you know, I have to refresh. Yeah. So I've been looking back and reflecting on what I want to do at the start of this year. I really like to try and build a classroom culture where we can all feel a part of it, feel safe. And so part of that kind of just comes from building those expectations together. And, you know, that's always a scary thing. You think, what are the kids going to think the rules should be or the expectations? But it's always the same thing. You know, be kind, be respectful, listen to others. So um, we'll kind of go through that together. And then uh, we practice on working in groups together and working with a pair. What does that look like? Because when we dive into instruction, we want to be successful at doing those things when we're collaborating. So that's kind of a good way for them to get to know each other as well as, you know, simply learn the flow and how to put those classroom expectations into group and practice. So uh, we like to explore the room. I have a pretty fun room, I would say. Uh, so let them explore and kind of take a look, do some scavenger hunts and, you know, kind of have their aha moments together. We do morning meetings so that I can do student check-ins and uh, we can share things that either are coming up in the day or, you know, they can let me know how things are going. So I'm actually going to be using micro bits this year for my student check-ins. They'll each have their micro bit and they'll code it for a certain face yeah. so they can push a button, you know, to have a smiley face or a sad face or whatever might work and they can just have that on the desk so that I can do a quick check and reset it for them. Oh, fun. But um, so bringing a little tech into that and then try to build shared experiences and of course some of the most fun shared experiences are science. So you know I try to start off with a topic that we can again practice that group work and partner work. Um, so uh, yeah, I, you know, last year I did bubbles, so we kind of started exploring bubbles and practiced our claim evidence reasoning, but having some of those more um, fun experiences with science is a great way to start off the year before diving into curriculum. So I, um, I think science is fun, I think learning is fun, and I want to share that with the students at the beginning of the year. So one of the questions I thought about um, that I want to ask students as we start introducing different content areas is what is amazing about this, right? So what is amazing about math? What is amazing about science? And just kind of get their responses to see if they think nothing is amazing <laughs> or, you know, um, because I, I always think about different things. It's just so cool, you know. Um, science is amazing. I participated in a great workshop this summer and uh, it was, it amazed me every day, challenged me and amazed me. And so I want to share that with students. So I find science experiments at the start of the school year are a great way to kind of get right. them thinking, this might be a little different this year. So, awesome. and that's kind of how we get going. <laughs> Thank you, this has been great. Uh, my name is Emily Merrill. I taught 12 years uh, in high school teaching U.S. History American Government. So not science. <laughs> not science. That's okay. We're going to steal these ideas for you. So talk to us about your beginning of the year stuff. Like, what do you do? What did you do to build culture? 
Yeah, you really want to kind of establish both the expectations of the classroom as well as the student relationship in the classroom. Talking about things that are controversial in, in American government means that you need to be able to build a trusting uh, environment to be able to speak your mind, to be able to have controversial conversations um, without people taking it personally. Um, and so I would do something that's pretty low stake, um, icebreaker-ish, without calling it an icebreaker because students and adults hate those icebreakers. Yeah. So maybe something like a four corners activities where putting the kids in the four corners based off what their summer activities were. Were you a gamer this summer? Were you an adventurer? Were you a, a streamer, a Netflix? Or were you a rest and relax? And then give them something to talk about in that group. So they're starting to build that relationship. But you're also setting those early classroom expectations of like, hey, just as a reminder, we're going to show respect. And so only one person at a time talks. Hey, remember, we're going to pay attention to the person who's speaking. So all eyes on that person. So you're building those things in a really low stakes environment. But even from day one, you're setting those expectations of how you expect students to behave in your classroom and treat each other. Well, I'm glad that science doesn't have any controversial subjects. You no, know, not at all. Topics that, that ever come up. So that's, I think that's very transferable. Um, do, you, do you find that um, kids would come into your classroom already having a sense of a the importance of a classroom culture? Or did you feel like you had to like kind of teach it from the ground up every year? Um, I, I taught uh, most of my years in a, a charter school, so only about 200 kids um, total within the whole 9th right. through 12th grade. There was about 60 kids uh, per grade level, so they knew each other fairly well. Uh, but you still needed to establish those expectations about what's going to happen in your room, and even on day one, reminding them of those expectations. Um, as the students built, I had to do it less their junior year than I did their freshman year when they were taking history. So they already knew my expectations, they already knew how to talk to each other. But even if they know each other in a fun, out of school kind of way, they're friends, they still need to understand how to be friends in a classroom and what that looks like. And it's very different having a relationship in the classroom than it is maybe in your gaming, group right. that you hang out with after school right so Club, just setting yeah. those expectations that yeah you can be friends outside of school but your friendship inside of school looks a little bit different in the way you behave you and i have both been out of the classroom for a little bit now um, mm -hmm. i feel like i've learned a lot of stuff um, that i would want to go try out is there anything that comes to mind to you that you've learned now that you're like okay if I was back in the classroom this year, I'd want to do this the first couple of weeks. Yeah, that's one of the best things about uh, the roles that I've had outside of the classroom is I get to see exceptional teaching right. every single day. Uh, so there was a teaching activity that I saw from a, a, an amazing teacher out at Mountain View High School who taught social studies. I can't remember the name of the class, but um, of building that classroom culture early. Um, and so I would want to sit in and watch her class and be able to steal that activity. And I'm just drawing a blank as to what it was kind of a, a butterfly effect kind of situation. Like when you do this, oh, this yeah. is how that extends to other people in the classroom. So being able to uh, see how your attitude 
in the classroom affects other people around you and how we have to build that together to be a team. Um, She did an amazing job and that's something that I would love to steal. Oh, that's awesome. Any other thoughts come to mind about um, building culture in classrooms? Uh, You know, just that old saying where teacher uh, students can't learn what you know until they learn that you care about them. And so letting them know that you care about who they are as a person, um, that you care what's happening to them outside of the school um, so that you can care about them in your classroom and that they will then care about what content you're teaching them. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, my name is Daisy Horner and I teach science to art students um, at Idaho Fine Arts Academy, so grades 9 through 12. Awesome. Talk to us about what you or your school does at the beginning of the year to try to like build culture. So since we, our school is grades, we are grades 6 through 12, so we have middle school and high school students together. So it's really important for us to create culture so that that we don't alienate our middle school students and so that we have the high school and the middle school are combined and they feel, you know, comfortable being around each other. So um, we do have, we've had, we've done this and then not done it. We do what are called family groups. And so um, we have a mix, every teacher gets a mix of students and um, it's a mix of their art majors. So we have, we have visual artists, we have musicians that are contemporary and classical, we have dance, we have vocal majors, we have theater, and um, new to IFA is film, and that's only high school only. So we mix the art majors up, we mix the grade levels up, and each teacher gets about 16 students and that becomes their family. And um, then we take our family groups through a series of different team building activities. Um, we do, it used to be two days of retreat, um, and that just is very difficult on an AB block. So now we have one day of retreat and we just do a team building. Um, we have a theme every year based on um, uh, you create. So that's an acronym for unity, compassion, respect, expression, acceptance, trust, and excellence. And this year is unity. So we're going to be focusing on unity. I don't know all the activities we're going to do. I kind of got a fun activity I want to try to implement based on our Steve Spangler um, uh breakout session from yesterday here at the conference so nice um do you notice a big difference once you've done the retreat in kind of the cohesiveness of the family groups or does that take a while to build throughout the school year um it's it's so great for these kids to have a shared experience when they come in so when we have these sixth graders coming Mm -hmm. in they're brand new to ifa and then they meet up with these seniors that have been there and they're like, oh, retreat day is awesome. And, and so they build the hype, the high schoolers do. 
And um, then we do, we do assemblies uh, at IFA almost every Wednesday. Thursday, Thursday, um, we had to move it. Uh, so every Thursday we have an assembly and sometimes maybe once a month it's family group related. And so um, we'll do some kind of competition between family groups. And so they get to see, they get to be part of something else besides their art major. And uh, yeah, just building shared experiences across the grade level, across the art majors. It's, it's, it's a really fantastic thing. And the kids buy in and it's awesome. I love that. Um, let me ask you another question that came to mind. What, um, so you used to teach at a traditional school and now you for quite a few years have been at this fine arts school. What have you learned teaching at a smaller specialty magnet school about teaching that maybe you didn't, I don't know, think about in the same way when you're at a traditional school? That's a good, um, flexibility, um, you would think that would be more important at the traditional school, I don't know, but at this, the smaller school with the art majors, they are our emphasis. And even though I'm teaching science to the art kids, I got to be flexible with their schedules. And then it's also, I've learned some flexibility on like some of the project-based learning, um, let them use their art major to create a project for assessment you know can they make a song out of it can they um can they do an interpretive dance of the the photosynthesis or (laughs) or the Krebs cycle or something like that so it's been fun developing different lessons based on their art majors which I would have never done at the the traditional school the kids would have been scared to death to write song lyrics they would never get up in front of the class and do that so that's been a big difference just having the art kids um, pulling in their science into their major almost like you're saying it's about teaching the kid more than teaching science like you're teaching them science in the way that they need to like learn it yes tailor it to how they can best do it I love that yes well, thank you. Thank you. My name is Jamie Brunmeyer. I am a seventh and eighth grade science teacher out at Valley View Middle School, currently teaching photography, ornithology, and science. Okay. I also teach at IDLA, Idaho Digital Learning Alliance. Whatever topic they want me to teach, I found out a couple weeks before, and that's what I teach. Nice. And this summer I've been teaching Earth Science B for them. Okay. You're busy then with lots of different teaching, it sounds yep. like. Uh, tell me about what your first week of school. Like, what, what are you really trying to teach the students? First week of school looks like routine in my classroom and safety. Um, learning what it looks like when you walk in the door, my expectations. I want a, like a student-centered classroom and student-driven classroom, not a teacher-driven classroom. I want them in charge and they need to learn their routines and what that looks like. So I spend a couple weeks establishing that culture. Okay. So same thing with exiting the classroom. What does it look like? How do we get lab materials out? Um, how do we transition between topics in class? How to set up their notebooks? I feel like I was never very good at teaching routines. So walk, walk me through just maybe one example of like, what do you actually do to help reinforce that stuff? 
and teach it to them? Lots of visual prompts up on the screen. Okay. So directing the prompts and then I will mimic it for them or model it for them and then I'll have other students practice the model and this is what it looks like. And it seems kind of cheesy but it really works. Um, and I've taught Claire up to seniors, it really works. Yeah. They need to see it done and then we'll do it together and they're like, oh yeah, I got this, this is no big deal. And this is, if I'm absent, this is where my work lives. I can yeah. go get my own missing work. Oh, this is how you set up your, we have interactive notebooks, IMBs. This is how I set it up. Okay. Um, and then I don't need to train the new kids coming in because the class just kind of absorbs them and they train them. Okay, good. What, what is it you kind of hope a student walks away feeling about your class after that first week or two? Safe. Um, I want them to feel safe and know that this is an environment that they can feel like it's okay to expose what their knowledge is, what their knowledge isn't, um, that it's okay to, as for lack of better words, fail forward. Mm -hmm. That's what science is, we're making mistakes and that's what we're learning from. Well, that's awesome, thank you. You're welcome. All right, my name is Neva Telford and I teach at Madison Junior High School. I teach um, eighth grade astronomy and weather and climate, and then I teach a ninth grade course that I developed myself called Exploring Idaho. Nice. So what kind of things do you try to do at the start of the school year to kind of build culture and get kids used to what you're going to do in your, in your classroom? So the first thing that I do, because when a student comes into my classroom, up on the board, it's going to say, please choose a seat. So I don't do seat assignments. I let the students have that choice of where they would like to sit. Um, if, you know, I do warn them that, hey, this is your seat. I'm not going to take it away from you unless you happen to... Uh, break any of the, the classroom rules yeah. and so but I let them know that they're owning it you know it is their seat they get to choose it they get to sit by their friends because I have tables so it, um, you know they're not having to worry about uh, being next to somebody that they don't know or that they're afraid of yeah. um, what I see in the classroom is I immediately start to see who my introverts are versus who my extroverts are right. um, and uh, it helps me to identify that part of the classroom that I already will maybe notice that uh, I wonder I wonder if this table right here is probably going to be moved in the first week. <laughs> so generally when I move, it's like I move the entire table. I don't move just one student because that's not fair. So I move the entire table. Um, when you think about kind of your goal for the first week of school, like what comes to mind? Like what do you want the kids to walk away knowing about your class or the subject or the expectations, that kind of thing? Yeah, so we do, the first thing that I will do even on the first day of school, we'll talk, you know, we go through the syllabus, which is boring, but um, always is. So then we'll play class bingo. And so the classroom bingo that I've set up is actually a bingo sheet that is everything about me as a teacher. So it'll say, have you ever fished? Uh, do you have brown eyes? Do you have three brothers? Do you have three sisters? Um, have you visited outside of the country? Have you been to a national park? And so the whole idea of the bingo game when I introduce it is that, okay, you have to go find another student that can sign this for you. 
but you can only ask two people. Two people can only sign your, your bingo card once. And so first they go for the bingo and I give them a small piece of candy and then they go for the blackout. And there are some times when um, you're like, maybe there's only one kid who is at a 15 uh, or higher level on Pokemon Go, or maybe there's only one kid who has a birthday in May. And all at once that kid is like, hey, Mrs. Telford, how am I gonna get a, how am I gonna get a blackout? And I'm like, hey, come see me, you know? And so I'll also, cause yeah. it says you can have your teacher sign. At the end of this, once they have their blackouts, then I will ask them to circle everything that they could have answered themselves. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about how now you have a connection with somebody else in this classroom. Whether same color of hair, maybe you both wrecked a vehicle. You know, you have something to talk about right. with that person, you know, that would be interesting. And then I tell them that I could have signed every square and I let them ask three questions about, uh, from the bingo sheet about me. And I would say that that really opens up. So now I have already shown them, hey, I am an approachable teacher. Mm. I'm willing to talk about myself. I'm willing to put myself out here. And they always ask, when did you wreck your first car? <laughs> <laughs> or they'll ask, what was the biggest fish you caught? Yeah. So they're, they're getting to know me as a person, not just as their teacher. Yeah. Um, the second day we do the multiple intelligence test and then I teach the students how it is that they learn according to what their test results are. Right. And they find that fascinating. It is, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. This has been great. You're welcome.